Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Hey, everybody. A, uh, a fun one today, you know, for a change. Comedian Patton Oswald is my guest, and you're going to enjoy this just a lot, unlike uh, so many of my lackluster conversations with disappointing guests. Now, many of you know that I'm touring on the only former U.S. Senator currently on tour tour. I got one coming up in Red Bank, New Jersey at the Count Basie Theater on Friday, June 3rd at the Count Basie Theater. And the reason I did the tour is that I love stand-up comedy. There are a lot of great ones out there, and uh, I've taken a lot of inspiration uh, from them. Patton Oswald is one of them. Now, Patton and I recorded this a couple months ago when I was in L.A., and as it so happens, as I record this introduction, I'm in Los Angeles again for my grandson's ninth birthday. And my plan has been to uh, run this while I took kind of the week off and enjoyed my daughter and her family and celebrate my grandson's ninth. And I'm sticking with that plan. You will love this conversation with Pat. We talk comedy. uh, We talk about political comedy. And I want to give you a a little taste of that. Here's uh, as good an explanation as I've heard about why comedians hate doing comedy about Donald Trump. Trump is a 18-wheeler full of uh, monkeys on PCP. And um, it crashes into a train full of diarrhea. And now there's diarrhea-covered monkeys on PCP running around. Everyone's watching it. And you as a comedian walk up and go, you want to hear some jokes I wrote about this? You're like, no, we're good. We're, it's <laughs> diarrhea-covered monkeys on PCP. What are you talking about? You know? So it was that good. Oh, and, and by the way. Um, <laughs> that was, that's a very good explanation. Thank you. Of, of why, why it was so frustrating for comedians to hear like, yeah. what a goldmine this guy is. No, it's, this, it's one joke. <laughs> I mean, I also said that it's impossible to keep up with him because he, he, it's, my analogy was he's a, a crazy guy on the sidewalk and he's just taking a dump. And then you turn to your friends and you have this amazing joke about the guy taking the dump. And by the time you turn to them, they're like, oh, he turned back around. He made the, took his poo and made a pinata out of it. He's like, <laughs> has it on his head. And you're like, oh, I don't have a material. Like, there's no way to keep up with him. There's no shelf life. So that was the plan. Take a week off and uh, run this conversation with Patton. And that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but of course, Uvalde happened. Uh, as I record this, it's Friday, May 27th. The shooting was three days ago. Uh, my daughter, Thomason, told me she has a five-year-old daughter, Avery, mischievous girl, uh, loves to beat up her grandpa and, and Joe, as I said, turns nine on Monday. He is so sweet and he's funny and loving. The 19 children who were murdered were 10 years old. Uh, Franny and I have two other wonderful grandchildren, Jacob six and, and Claire three. The, the 20 children killed at Sandy Hook were six years old. Uh, you don't have to be a parent or a grandparent to be knocked to your knees by this. I, I was in the Senate when Sandy Hook happened. I, I, I met with a number of the families. And we got nothing done. We didn't get anything. Not an assault weapons ban, not a limit on the number of rounds in a magazine, not background checks. The background check bill, that was mentioned to me. The NRA scored Mansion to me. That means if you voted for the bill, if you voted for Mansion to me to strengthen background checks, well, then you couldn't get an A with the NRA. And that did the trick. We didn't get the 60 votes for more extensive background checks. Why? 
politics. You vote for more thorough background checks, you don't get your A from us, and you'll be primaried by a guy who does have an A because that guy will always vote for us so we can sell more guns, more lethal guns for profit. This is a very profitable business. And you certainly won't get campaign donations from us if you don't vote our way. The number one recipient of gun lobby campaign dollars, according to Axios, Ted Cruz. Over his political career, Ted Cruz has taken $442,000 from the gun lobby. Those are for his own campaign account and for his political action committee, through which Ted gives campaign dollars to like-minded pro-gun colleagues. But now, since the murder of 19 children and two teachers in Uvalde, so close on the heels of 10 killed in Buffalo by a white racist, Republicans are saying, how dare you make this political? Here's Cruz talking to a British reporter yesterday. Is this the moment to reform gun laws? You know, it's, it's easy to go to politics. But it's important. It's at the heart of the issue. I, I get that that's where the media likes to go. No, it's not. It's where many of the people we've talked to here like to go. Now, as you know, I really hate Ted Cruz. I have an entire Ted Cruz section in my act. And one of the stories I tell is about the first time I met Cruz. He was elected in November of 2012. Sandy Hook happened about a month later. I signed on as a co-sponsor of the assault weapons ban. Ted doesn't get there until he's sworn in in January, January 3rd. That day, he comes up to me on the floor, doesn't introduce himself, just comes up to me, says, anybody who's for the assault weapons ban is engaged in sophistry. Now, sophistry is an SAT word, meaning to be deceptive while using a deliberately fake story. So I asked Ted, how am I engaged in sophistry? And he says to me, well, Clinton's own Justice Department did a study on the assault weapons ban and said it didn't work. And I said, no, it actually said it looked like it kind of did work. This is, you're talking about the 96 study, but it said that it didn't have enough data because the bill was passed in 94. So the only data was from 95 and it said it looked like it reduced gun violence by 6%, but they couldn't draw a statistically valid conclusion because there wasn't enough data. And then he got mad at me. He said, you just look at the study. So I had, and I went back to my office and talked to my judiciary counsel, and he got the language from the report, the relevant language, and I put it in my, my breast pocket. And next day on the floor, I see Ted. I go, Ted, Ted. And I say to him, uh, yesterday you said that anyone who's for the assault weapons ban is engaged in sophistry. And he said to me, no, I didn't. That's, that's Ted Cruz. What is politics supposed to be about if it isn't about keeping people safe? Well, I guess other things. Money and power. And, and sophistry. Okay. Pat Oswalt, he is a stand-up uh, who's not afraid to talk about politics in his act, and he's someone who cares about politics the way I do, but he's not a former senator on tour, and his comedy is about so, so much more. Uh, Patton's working all the time. Sitcoms, voices for animated movies, one of the most sought-after comedic talents in Hollywood, and a big part of that is that people know Patton, really respect and love this guy as I do. He's one of my favorite types of people, a sweetheart with a real edge. So please give it a listen. I know you'll really enjoy this one, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We both had trouble getting into the building. Oh, did you have trouble too? I think you've heard me do counterintuitive. Uh, maybe it was uh, when we did a thing at Largo. I tried oh. to do this bit about uh, you go to a lot of hotels. You know, it's funny. Uh, both of us are on the road now, mm -hmm. right? And you've been on the road a lot more than I have over mm -hmm. the years. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I decided to work up stand-up, you know, mm -hmm. and I started going to the comedy cellar. Mm -hmm. And I started seeing a lot of stand-ups. Yeah. I love great stand-ups. There's oh, a lot of them, and you God. are one of them. Thank you. And I saw you at the uh, Kennedy Center. The Kennedy Center. Yes. That, that other little workout space. Comedy <laughs> Cellar, Kennedy Center. I dropped in. I did a set at the, <laughs> at the Kennedy Center. Yeah. Yeah, Gustavo Dudamel gave me five minutes in between uh, Tchaikovsky pieces. It was nice. Very nice. <laughs> it anyway. was beautiful. Yeah. But one of the things I noticed that stand-ups do... And I used to wonder about this. Why do stand-ups do so much material about hotels and planes? And I, duh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. I could have probably figured it out. <laughs> Why would they? It's weird. Like, yeah. It, it is such a, I remember watching, there's a uh, Charlie Kaufman film called Anomalisa, and there's a scene, that it's a, stop motion animated film it's brilliant but the, but the scene at the beginning i had this weird uh ptsd because he's checking into a hotel room and even though it's all done in stop motion miniatures they really recreated how every hotel room is just a mutant variation on every other hotel room no matter how expensive or cheap it is there's the same little coffee maker there are the same little desk that kind of connects like just the unpacking and that ritual you go into this oh that's right i'm going to be alone in this room for a while this is but what strange. i've discovered is uh a certain counterintuitiveness to certain hotels for example you check in you, you go to your hotel room yeah they have music on mm. in the hotel room and yep. you can't you have no idea how to turn it off. That is, W hotels are that way. It takes forever <laughs> to figure out where is the music coming from? How do I turn it off? So I've had these things where I call down at the desk mm -hmm. and I go like, uh, hi, this is, uh, how's your, uh, how's your stay, Miss Frank? <laughs> um, fine. I just got here and I just want to know how to turn the music off. Oh, you'll be surprised how many of our guests ask us that. <sighs> Uh-huh. Yes. Um, but before I tell you how to turn it off, let me ask you, did you enjoy having music on when you arrived at your room? Uh, no. No. Uh-huh. Right. And did you have um, popular classics? No. I don't know. I don't know. Or did you have uh, American classics? Or did you have – I don't know what I had, but I don't – would you have preferred, you know, like, I, right. I just wanted to learn how to turn it off. Okay. 
It's a little complicated. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, and do, do, don't you want to ask them, by the way, let me ask you something. Uh, do you like getting these calls like every third guest where you have to walk them through? It's like it's like walking through someone through defusing a bomb, basically. It, it's so many steps. Yeah. And then there's the next thing I call down. I go like my a message light is on mm. and I don't know how to turn it off. You'll be surprised how many guests call down over that question. Okay. Um, well, I could walk you through it. It's a little complicated, <laughs> but it's just a message from our manager hoping that you have a great stay. Would you like me to turn it off? Yes. Yes. <laughs> my my two oh, I, I can't believe we're getting we're going we went right into hotel stuff we are we're just old road dogs um the, the two things i can't stand in hotels and i know that they mean well the more expensive the hotel you are in the more complicated the shower is mm -hmm. and the more complicated the lighting controls are for the room yes. in a cheaper hotel it's a switch in an expensive hotel there is some kind of small ipad where you press it's a touch screen and you control the whole room, but it's not, like you said, it is not an intuitive thing. It is user hostile. And then also I've had a thing where no matter how you turn it on, it's scalding hot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that drives me. Well, there are some, there are some controls where when you first turn it on, the first option is scalding hot and then you have to adjust down. Whereas I would rather, yes, cold is uncomfortable, but it's not going to hurt me. Can we start with the cold and then I'll adjust up? But yeah. even then, it's sometimes it's not clear how do you adjust because sometimes you got to press buttons. You're at the listening same time. to two comedians <laughs> who are currently on road tours and who are very frustrated, but who go to the most obvious material. <laughs> they can think this of. is NPR's Old Men Frustrated with Controls. <laughs> we'll be right back after this message. Well, from, I'm uh, 70. You're 51? 53. 53? You're 70? I'm 70. Damn. You're, you're a young, spry 70. I am I look like I'm 68. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gen X aged very quickly we we were we couldn't wait to get old we were already like <laughs> curmudgeonly can i just sit down i don't want to do anything and you guys at least fought it so you're on the road now and uh we we're actually going to some of the same places i we keep barely missing each other yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'm either at a place you were just at or i'm you're coming to a place that i'm at yeah and, um, you know, I'm a big admirer of yours. I am, this is my first time on tour as a single. I used to go with Tom Davis. Uh-huh. And we were doing like Bob and Ray. This has nothing to do <laughs> with what you do and what I'm now doing, which is the same. Were you in clubs? We did clubs. We did, but we also, we did a lot of colleges. Oh. And you opened for a lot of bands. No, not really. We oh. uh, a few, but not not many. We opened for the Grateful Dead one. That I one of my favorite showbiz stories because of what you said at the beginning, which is we worked out a deal with the band. The longer we perform, the less time they have to play. That's right. And the, the <laughs> crowd almost rushed the stage to murder both of you. It, that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. That's on YouTube. That's where we introduced <laughs> them at Radio City Music Hall. <laughs> And it starts with a video of us backstage trying to get each one of the first, trying to get Jerry to introduce us. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I drop his guitar because I've been, e I was eating a rib. <laughs> and then we go one after one, don't get him to do it. Finally, Brent agrees to do it, mm -hmm. who had just been with the band about a week. <laughs> the keyboard guy. And when he introduces us, this is a radio city, 5,000 people. Hell yeah. And he says, I don't think these guys are very funny. Please welcome Frank and Dave. <laughs> and then they start booing right away. But we go like, hey, uh, <laughs> we've worked out this deal with the band. We're, we're going to just do an hour of comedy. And that the longer we do, the less they're going to play. Boo! Uh, Wait a minute. You want us just to get off and have the band come on? Yeah. Are you sure? And then that was a, that was a fun intro. That must have been amazing. Well, we're enormous deadheads, of course. Well, so. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what's it like being out there alone? What's that like? I really kind of love it. 
Mm-hmm. I love traveling with Tom. I love doing the stuff we did. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a Bob and Ray fan. I imagine oh my every God. every every co- comedian bit. whose taste I respect Ugh. loves Bob and Ray. And I loved what we did. Mm-hmm. But this is completely different. And it's it was a challenge. And I started going down to to the cellar and the comedy you, cellar. You would like do like five to seven minutes, or like you were doing chunks of material, right? Yeah, but I was doing. Well, I, you brought me to Largo. That's right. In, yes, here in L.A. Yeah, you, thank you. You're very kind. You have a, like a, a a spot at Largo. Yeah, every most one Sunday a month, unless I'm really touring or working. And you're working all the I'm working time. a lot. And and also, I, I've I've gone to Flanagan, and he's been very very n- nice to me. About he's a guy who runs Largo. Flanagan, oh. Mark Flanagan is a great guy. Who runs Largo, and there have been Sundays where he's like, "How about we do this one?" And I go, "Well, I know that I'm working." that next Monday morning, and I know it's an early call, and I know that I need to be in bed by 8. Like, I just, I am, I have so Let's embraced my age. Let's explain what Largo is, because. Largo was, started as a music club, small cabaret on Fairfax, um, across Hollywood. from Cantor's in Hollywood. in Hollywood, and it started um, a Monday night show uh, in the 90s, late 90s, uh, early aughts, um, that really kind of took off and became this, an, another one of those hotbed places where acts kind of launched out of there tenacious d launched out of there um and then every monday for five dollars it was sarah silverman zach galifianakis david cross andy kinlet like every every monday um so it just became this real thing and then he sold that club and bought the old very historic coronet theater on la cienega and it's a bigger space music and comedy people do shows there all the time i just did a benefit it was me judd apatow jim carrey Jackson Brown and Ron Funches. That was just a benefit for Children's Hospital. Like on a on a Saturday night. Why and not? I only raised nothing. <laughs> and we yeah. <laughs> it actually we ended up the the hospital owed Largo money at the end of it. It was weird. <laughs> um so yeah, it's this great and it's this just just amazing space that Mark Funnigan has kind of cultivated over the years where people like in the in the 90s, I remember he would throw people out that were talking, that were on their cell phones. It became very, very well known when you're in the Largo, shut the F up and watch the show. Yeah, he don't tape anything. They yeah. take your phone. Do they take your phones or does they everyone just understand that? It's 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 understood. And and it's just like, and, and he, he pissed off all the right people. He chased away the people that were just looky-loos that were like, I read about this in Rolling Stone. I thought I'd come and see it. You know? <laughs> Because especially <laughs> some of the Monday night shows, suddenly like Tom Petty was showing up to watch the show, the Farrelly Brothers, Elvis Costello. So there were people coming to see who else was in the crowd, and that is always the worst audience to have. So he very quickly- Well, the Farrelly Brothers people. and the, the people you're talking about are, are the people who were really coming. They weren't the people- No, no, they to were see. coming to see the show. They were, <laughs> what I'm saying is there yeah, were other yeah. people coming to look at them and go, right. oh, that's Tom Petty. Over and there. it's also Largo is a is famously a place when you're going to go on tour- Mm. Or when you're working toward getting your set together on tour. Yes. Because you've done, what, three Netflix specials? Uh, yes. I've done like seven specials at this point. But okay. yeah, I've done, I've done three for Netflix. So I, Okay, well, then you've done seven. So every time <laughs> you do one, you have to throw out your material. I abide by a principle that Chris Rock told me, which is when you put out an album or a special, the minute it's out there, you can't do that material anymore. Let's say you put out a special and then you go on tour and people come see you because they've watched the special. If you do the material that was in the special, they'll be happy, but they'll never come see you again because they'll go, that's what he does. But if they watch your special and then they come and see you live and you do a whole new hour, they're your fans for life. They will always come and see you because they'll know that you're always bringing them new stuff. Whereas with bands, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> if you do an album, you had better play that album that they bought. You, They do not want to hear your new stuff. Yeah, you better play that fucking album. musicians. <laughs> they don't have to think of anything new for a while. I remember I was talking, I'm going to drop a name, but I, I, I met Huey Lewis and we were talking about, he, he was a teenager in San Francisco growing up, and I told him that about comedians and musicians. He goes, oh, my God, I saw Zeppelin. I think I was 16 or 17. They were touring on Zeppelin 3. So, of course, we're all in the Fillmore, and we're, you know, I want to hear Going to California. I want to hear Immigrant Song. I want to hear the stuff from the first two albums. And he remembers them doing a rough version of Stairway to Heaven, which had not come out yet. Like, here's a new song we're working on. And he goes, all my friends and I were like, oh, let's go get a beer. This is stupid. <laughs> 
gonna listen to this. Like he just went up and went and got snacks. I don't know what this song is. I'm gonna listen to this. So yeah, that that's a that's a huge thing about you know you can you can build a fan base, you can lose a fan base. My act is basically my. I haven't done one. Yeah, it's, on, it's all new on, for you. On, yeah, so I so this is an accumulation of a lot of time. To, right. To put this stuff together. And a lot of experiences that you've had, that stuff that you've seen and, you know, oh, yeah. been a part of. It must and, be amazing. You know, the name of the tour is the only U.S. senator, a former U.S. senator currently on tour tour. <laughs> and there's yeah. a lot about the Senate that <clears throat> other comedians don't do. Yeah, I my Senate stuff just it doesn't <laughs> land because you can tell that I didn't really experience it. I'm just kind of- All it is is you watching- <laughs> Just uh, me watching C-SPAN. C-SPAN. <laughs> It's not that immediate. I'm not really, no. yeah. It, I don't bring you there. That's the problem. You go like, I, yeah, you say, I watch C-SPAN a lot, so I know a lot. I got to drop that chunk. It just feels very, <laughs> really sweaty. It's very sweaty. It's it's weird. You, I mean, I, I remember when I was, when I did that benefit show with Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey went up on stage and just talked about his experiences in Hollywood. So these, he just talked for 10 minutes about the weirdness that he's experienced and seen. And it was fascinating. And we were talking backstage and I said, I don't want to be this guy, but someday you should do just a one-man show and talk about the shit you've seen because it would be fascinating. And I said the same thing. I remember I became friends with Robin Williams before he passed. And, you know, Robin was always, he was very much Robin, but then when you would just talk to him one-on-one -on -one and he would tell you about the stuff he had done on movies and stuff like that, I was like, if you ever did like a chronicle of your life, the stuff that you were adjacent to and, and involved in that no one knows about, that would, like, it would just be Endless raconteur tales of, of weirdness. Which he could easily do. Yes. And maybe would have. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. But like it's it reminds me it's, he could have done what Springsteen did on Broadway, where, you know, yes, Springsteen's doing his songs, but then he's just talking to you and you're like, Oh, he's had a fascinating life outside of the song robin's act wasn't just talking to you <laughs> no it was a lot of times he was arguing with himself up there which was fascinating he you could see the different characters it's funny i only have two glasses of water in my act <laughs> <laughs> he had yeah he, he had like a whole he had like a mini 7-eleven of water bottles up there he just had to uh so how long does it take you to just create an entire New act. I mean, you. Your last special was what twenty? Uh, Two thousand twenty. Yeah. yeah. It takes me. I'm not as fast a writer as other comedians because I've never developed the discipline to sit down for a chunk of time and write jokes. All my writing happens on stage, uh -huh. so I have like ideas I jot down, but I need to go up on stage and work it out in front of an audience, which is why the pandemic was so. But uh, that, you can feel that as me. your style. Because I want it to feel like it's happening and, and we're having a conversation and I'm talking to you rather than reciting an act that I've crafted. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. Some people that can sit and write, they do the most brilliant. I mean, Emil Phillips is one of the most brilliant joke writers I've ever seen. And it is all written out, but it is the best jokes. It's like him and Anthony Jeselnik, like the, just the level of writing that they're well, able Carlin to do. Carlin wrote every day, oh, right? Like it, yeah. Not only did he write every day, he wrote every word of that stuff out. He, he was almost like he was writing song lyrics. He knew exactly where each one would fall. It was incredible. So everybody works different. Everyone works different. So for me, it takes like a year and a half to get an hour, to get like 45 minutes that I'm really, really happy with. I still have that album mentality. I don't want to do a self-aggrandizing two and a half hours of my mind. I like a, a really short, powerful punk, bam, in and out. Like all my favorite albums are super short because right. they just, it's all just bared down to the bone. Now you do, when I saw you in at the Kennedy Center, you did audience work. Yes. And you're great at it. Thanks. And I, so let me ask you something. So when I do it, <laughs> I'm going to now ask you just how to tour. So when I do my sound check yeah. and I'm talking about the lighting, I say, I want to be able to see the first several rows. Yeah. 
Well, I, I what do you s- tell them? Is there a I thing just, like, you tell I'm, them? I'm How like, do you tell don't, them? You, you've got to find the right thing because a, a, an audience that's too well lit won't laugh because they get self-conscious. Right. But you um, want to be able to see people. You laugh. want to see people. What you can also do is yeah. go out, do you know, 25, 30 minutes, win their trust so they know they're in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing. Then you can go, can we turn the house sets up a little bit? But at that point, they've all because they've laughed together, they're like, okay, we're all together now. Their inhibitions are gone. And then we can we can talk to them and- there's a million different ways to do it, but I like uh, the best comedy happens in a dark room. Just like the best, like when you watch a movie in a theater, you know, when the you're just in this dark room and you're like not as aware of your body or you're, you're not as self-conscious. You mean the audience or you? Um, no, the audience is. Okay, the, okay. I'm talking about <laughs> Sorry. if you're in the audience, yeah. You on stage should better be aware. You yeah, better not just drift well, while you're and, up there. And you better be lit. <laughs> and you better be lit. Okay, yeah. I got uh, that seemed obvious. Um, that, hang on. What if you overlit the audience, like glaring overhead office light, but then the stage is pitch black, they can just hear your voice. So they're all sitting there. They got to look at I each other. I once did a corporate speech at Nike. Really? Okay. Up this, in Portland? Yeah. This was years and years ago when mm-hmm. I did corporate speech. They thought it would be really neat <laughs> to put a stage, because they're Nike. They have yeah, great man. new ideas. Mm-hmm. They put me in a little circular, little small table-sized stage in the middle of the house. No. And put the no, executives no. on the stage. No. No, is no. of course. Jesus. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did. <sighs> Experimenting with, I'm going, okay. And then I just started saying like, you know, you use like ten year olds to make your shoes in Asia because I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like there there are certain people that before you even know the grammar of the form, before you even know how to do it, they want to mess with the delivery system. It's like MTV and Comedy Central were very guilty of this back in the nineties, where they would do like we're going to do this show called Tompkins Square, where it's outside and you see the park behind them, or we'll do something on the beach, or like everything. I remember when I did my first half hour special for Comedy Central, it was a bunch of comedians all got half hour specials. They had us come up out of the audience to get on stage, mm. which completely took away any mystique because <laughs> you're standing there before the show starts. You're just standing there for like half an hour while they're, you know, they're getting the cameras ready and the whole audience is just looking at you. Just You're this schlub just standing there. So by the time you get up there, like, that's that asshole I just saw. There's no magic. There's and nothing. And you look like that asshole. I really, why well, I, I, I you know what it, it makes you look needy. Like, let me go up. I want to talk. Like, no, don't make, don't have me standing there being needy and like, you know, leaning on chairs and waiting to go up and rocking back and forth because I'm nervous. Yuck. It was, it was so frustrating. And it was people like, we got to mess with the form. Actually, you don't. You just got to make sure that you, you get the best material and get the best comedians. And as long as you're funny, no one cares what it, you know. That's why like a lot of cinema, when especially with comedy, they're like, we're going to do crazy camera stuff. It's like every great comedy that was ever done, Animal House, Ghostbusters, something like that, it has the blandest cinematography because that had better not be part of the joke. If right. you're depending on camera moves for laughs, you're screwed. If, if if you watch Animal House, the camera's just bolted down. They trust that they've got the best performers to walk in and just destroy. But the camera's not doing crazy stuff because it can't. I remember uh, once I was at Comedy Central I, during a summer. I took a gig, like, advising some people. <laughs> doing, and there were these people who were doing a sketch show. And they thought one of the keys was to do funny sets. No, you can't. I, <laughs> well, I I said, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it has to be the most, if you watch, especially like early SNL and, and, and especially uh, Monty Python seemed to make a fetish out of this. It, it is the most bog standard looking settings because the people coming in had better be funny. The set can't get the laugh because then, then nothing happens. There's no topping it. There, so you there's, make it look there, the normal. Set- is a set. If yeah. you're doing a Greek diner, it looks like a Greek diner. Yes. If you're doing a living room, it looks like a living room. Right. You know, when if you're doing Farley doing the motivational speaker, you want the same living room we use for <laughs> every living room set. You know? Exactly. You, yeah, just as long as you have the breakaway coffee table. Yeah, make sure the yeah, make sure that breaks away. You need that to break. So yeah, that kind of you know, everything I just ranted about, I'm guilty of because when you start 
getting your first laughs, you fast forward into like, I got to start doing this amazing stuff. And I was listening to a lot of Richard Pryor when I started out, even before I started, but I really went back and listened to every word he ever said. And there's a bit he did called God is a Junkie. It's on one of his albums. And um, it's a discussion panel show about the meaning of God. So there's like a, a black militant and a born again Christian lady. And, and he goes into all the voices without introducing anybody, but you know exactly who each per it is. It's such a- Because he's- because he's genius. Richard Pryor. He's a frigging <laughs> genius. And he can take you. And same with the um, uh, pool hall Saturday night. I think there's 12 characters in that bit. And you ne he never needs to introduce him. You just know who's there. And you know what their status is. And I tried to do a bit like that after I've been doing it for like four months. And it looked like I was having like a, a stroke on stage. It made no sense. Because in my mind, I'm like, it's time to start doing God is a Junkie. It's time to start operating at Richard Pryor level. It's like, you're not Richard. <laughs> By the way, you'll probably never be him. Just be happy getting laughs the way you're getting it. Just chill out. Like it was just, but everyone does it. Everyone, you get excited. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to overshoot sometimes. Yeah. But you're hoping that that overshooting happens at the creative level and not the executive level. Are you doing AP Bio now? Is that still on or is... No, we got... Oh. Well, I, it's hard for me to be upset about that because we did two seasons and then we didn't get picked up and then... Um, that there was a big fan outcry, which felt really good. And then Peacock swooped in and gave us two more seasons where they let us, and it, it had a lot to do with Lauren Michaels really being in our camp and going, no, let them just do what they want to do. They let us do some genuinely bizarre, brilliant stories, and we did not get the numbers, but they liked the show and stuck with it way longer than they needed to. So it's hard for me to be upset about that. They gave us four seasons, Yep. you know, and they let... Paula Pell riff. They let, you know, me and Glenn just, I mean, it was such. Now, I never worked with Paula at SNL. She was after me. Oh, you never got to work with her? No, no. Oh, God, she's a freaking genius. Yeah. Like a, a genius. I was there for the first five, mm -hmm. left for five, and then came back when Lauren came back. So I was a Lauren again writer. Oh, okay. So I did 15 seasons. Dude. So I worked with a lot of people, but. Wow. But that what? was still. Like the last year I worked there was 1995. So oh my we're talking Lord. about 27 years. And the five years that you were off, mm -hmm. which I take, I assume took place during the 80s, um, late 70s, early 80s. It was uh, 80 to 85. So what were you doing then? Tom and I toured. We made a oh. couple movies. Uh huh. Um, neither of them hits. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, uh, you know, wrote some TV, mm -hmm. but mainly, uh, we did a lot of touring and that's, wow. that's, that was, uh, us doing a two man act, which you don't see anymore. No. Hardly at all. Yeah. It's weird. It is. It's very hard two to. Two person act. Two person act. It's very, it's very hard to pull that off. But we were real Bob and Ray influence who, oh, as yes. you know. Very, it just. What's your favorite Bob and Ray bit? Uh, well, there's a lot of them. There's Slow a lot Talkers of, of America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the Komodo Dragon. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were radio comics, yes. right, basically. Yeah. So there's one where they're both uh, on horses and they can't get off their horses. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of, whoa, 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 whoa. And then, you know, and they're just trying to figure out how to get off the horses and they go under one guy goes under a tree and grabs the branch and the <laughs> mm -hmm. horse but he's just hanging from the branch and the other guy comes and, and now they're both on a horse i mean it's that it, yeah kind it's of shit absurdist i th they had these little throwaway things that reminded me of the kind of absurdist blackout sketches that you would see on Again, Monty Python or Mr. Show, where you can tell they had this great idea, but they're like, I don't really have a whole sketch here, but this idea is so funny. Can't we just throw this in here? So the one that has always stuck with me is there's an interview with a cranberry farmer. Yes. Uh, that is, there's- Who so didn't know what cranberries were used for. Had, had, well, but, but what's also <laughs> great is he's growing acres and acres of cranberries, but it's implied, and they never get to it, that he is making money doing this. And they go, so how many are for cranberry juice? He's like, I don't I don't know what- What? 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 Cranberry juice. Juice. He's like, oh, I didn't uh, know you could- Let me write that down. Wow. And then they go, so so this is all for cranberry sauce. Then he was like, I'm sorry, wait, what? Like, so and then they leave you wondering, why is he growing all these cranberries? But at one point it goes, <laughs> cranberry juice, and he goes, let me write that down. Yes. And it's- uh, <laughs> J-U, and he goes, I-C-E, <laughs> and he goes, 
I thought there was a J in it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's that kind of stupid. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean. So, just so weird. And, you know, Chris Elliott, of course, is Bob. Oh, my God. You you read his, Chris Elliott's memoir, right? Which the whole thing was a piss take on memoirs, (laughs) where his own dad has to come in going, I don't remember any of this. Uh, This is all B. I don't know what gold told socks mean. You know, there's just that type of humor. And I'm glad that that is still going on with like, I don't know if you've watched Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave. Have you seen that show? No. Oh, Al. Tim Robinson, he was an SNL writer. Truly, truly an original mind. And he did a show for a Comedy Central called Detroiters with a guy named um, Sam Richardson. And they did a show together. Oh, God. Yes. yes. I've seen a sketch or two from this that are brilliant. Watch the whole show. Okay. It is, it is, it's, it's. Sam Richardson's on Veep. He was on Veep and he was on that show, The Actor. A a brilliant actor who they, because I was on Veep near the end and I would talk to the writers and they were like, Sam Richardson is so handsome and put together that he looks so competent that they had so much fun his character is basically like brain damaged right but but they had fun going but because he's so well put together it takes people a long time to realize how messed up he is i was like are you making him dumber every season they went oh absolutely and no one really catches on to how dumb he is he's also he has command of some facts in it that is part of what disguises how dumb he is yes and <laughs> and also he has quite a bit of assurance well th- there's one of my favorite lines of his is uh my name is uh, richard t splett i don't know why i said t my middle name is john <laughs> and he, he's just so like happy to give you this information like and, and then you just pass over it i don't know he but this show um I think you should leave is it's 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 Bob and Ray if Bob and Ray had access to some really good pharmaceuticals and 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 some really really good uh trauma and and damage. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. Squirm inducing in the best way. You have a incredibly varied career. <laughs> yeah. I mean you do voices all the time. Voices right? constantly, yeah. What do, you, what do you voice for? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm the narrator on the Goldbergs okay. on ABC, just animated characters. I've D- Disney, Marvel. Um, I did a show for Hulu called Modoc, where I played a very obscure supervillain, uh, Modoc, who is a, a Marvel supervillain that I love because even amongst the other villains, he's lower tier. So he's as angry at the other villains as he is the heroes because no one gives him his props. It's that just sad... You know, and then I'm I'm doing vo- upcoming voices um, on Netflix, uh, the Sandman show. I, I'm the voice of Matthew the Raven. If you've ever read the Sandman comics, that was a big deal for me because I remember back in '92 when Sandman first re- that comic book really burst, and Neil Gaiman was on a signing tour, and I and I saw him at a comic book store near where I lived in San Francisco called Comics Experience, and I stood in line and I got him to sign my hardback of the season of Mists. And now I'm this Raven character that I loved from the books. That is a very surreal, happy thing that's happening. And you got a podcast. And I have a podcast with uh, my wife, Meredith, who we've had uh, lunch with. Uh, It's called Did You Get My Text? And it's basically, I'm sure that you and Franny uh, deal with this too. Yes, we live together. Yes, we're married. But a lot of our communication is over texting. Even though we're not that far apart from each other during the day, a lot of times we're just texting. Can you do this or can you get th- like like it's all over texting now? And and that is a big subject of your show is discussing your texts. Well, not going back through them and deciphering what did this mean or why did you send this to me. Right. There, there was one where I just sent her this article and I wasn't meaning it to be a slam on her, but it was about how like. Industry secrets from insiders, and some guy was saying people spend way too much on jewelry, actually, you know, like zirconias and stuff look just the same, and no one knows the difference, and I don't know why it's such a racket, and then I sent that to her, isn't that interesting? She's like, so you say I spend too much on jewelry, like, why are you sending me, I'm like, no, 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 I just thought you would, like the, ins- you know. Well, so you have something in your last show that was on Netflix, which is, you guys have an argument, <laughs> you go out, drive out. To, uh, to where trail. you hike, yeah, and then she feels bad, mm-hmm. and you're off, I guess, hiking, and she leaves. Do my anger hike. Doing your anger hike, and she leaves a note which scares the shit out of you. Which she meant to be romantic, <laughs> but she didn't think of the context, and she leaves a note on my windshield. 
here's the note, verbatim. First line, stop, space. Second line, get out of your car. Space. Third line, walk to the park bench in front of you. Space. Last line, I love you. Now, okay, yes, yes, it ended with I love you. That's very nice. But that was a long, terrifying walk to I love you. Holy shit. That is what a demented hitman leaves on, his, on a windshield. I'm reading this thing like, oh, God, who, who did I fight with on Twitter today? And she was filming it. I still have film of me walking towards it going, I thought I was going to get murdered. <laughs> you see me take it off the windshield, and I'm frozen in fear. You know, like, oh, my God, what the, what the hell? We're going to take a uh, quick break, and we'll be right back with Patton Oswalt. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. We're back with Patton Oswalt. You're, you're, you're stand-up now. You're act. You do an hour, I take it. I do actually more. I do really? like an, yeah, I do like an hour and a half. But um, how can I justify that? Um, <laughs> it's all very. Uh, it works. How's that? Well, also not just does it work, especially at this time because you were in the Senate, and and we are seeing how crazed. The Senate and I House. have some perspective That's on what, what's yeah. going on right now. So my thing, you know, people are going like, oh, well, is this going to be political satire? And I go, yeah, yeah, but it's laughs. Well, yeah, but it also, it's 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 a weird perspective of, you know what, it, it, it must feel like a guy who, I was in a band, and the band was really fun, and then I left the band, and when I left, they went insane, and now they're doing, cra- and, and it's almost like you can give this inside information on the institution, because it kind of, it, it's, it's like. It's gotten much worse, I'm, even we since all I left, see it. Yeah. but it got worse from the, uh, the day I got to the Senate, mm-hmm. first day on the floor, I'm talking to few senators mm-hmm. i said is it bad it's bad now right and they go uh, some a couple of them say it's the worst it's ever been and carl levin says no it's been worse and i said when and he goes uh 1854 <laughs> the caning of charles some like that kind yes. of, is that what he brought that's, up yes and i that's what i said the caning of charles sumner and he goes yes and I go, okay, that was really the lead up to the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that other than that, <laughs> it's never been worse. And since then, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And what got, I got there in July because I had a recount mm-hmm. of, okay, of, of 09. But Mitch McConnell filibustered more executive nominations yeah. than had been filibustered in the previous entire history of the country. Yeah. And he had said, to his caucus, our goal is to make this guy a one-term president. Yeah. And then it got worse and worse, and then you got more of these, like, Ted Cruz types, and yes. now you've got more Cottons and Hawleys yeah. and these people. And the Republican Party got more and more nuts, and then you had Trump. 
Well, it metastasized from the Tea Party, and it also turned yes. into they realized very, very quickly. I heard this said on another um, podcast, but if any of them says anything against the party line, they will be primary. You don't know how true that is. I uh, I text a number of my former Republican colleagues, yeah. and I just say, why don't you just say that the election wasn't stolen? Just say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it they wasn't. They can't. And they bullshit me, bullshit me, you know, back and forth bullshit. I call them on the bullshit. Finally, they go, look, if I said the election wasn't stolen, they would think I was a never Trumper Mm -hmm. and I could not win my primary. Yeah. And you would have someone much crazier than me. Yes. And then I kind of go, really? You're kind of (laughs) crazy. Yeah. (laughs) This is crazy enough, but it's like they're... I don't know. I, I still don't support that because of enough of them. Again, they're they're talking about a bully that if if you punch a bully in the nose once, he goes away. They just haven't done that to him yet. You know? Mm, no. I mean, oh. the ones that punched him, you know, uh, have Flake punched him. And, no, that's true. You yeah. Know, I mean, it, it's you know it's bad. And, and and Trump has made it worse. And you're right. It's a Tea Party. It was Palin. Yeah. And before Palin, there was Buchanan. And, right. and you know, I wrote these books, Rush Limbaugh's a big fat idiot mm-hmm. and other observations. It yep. was, and Lies and Lying Liars. And that was about the right wing putting out disinformation. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that was dangerous. Now, I don't know where that's gone. <laughs> Well, that was like the, the, there's still the, the ongoing irony of, um, you know, Sinead O'Connor Connor burned her career to the ground because she said the Catholic Church is abusing kids. Everyone's <laughs> like, get her out of here. Boom. Oh, my God. And now, you know, it's like, well, there you go. Sometimes it, it sometimes it doesn't pay to be early. Oh, also in that special, I just I hate to go no, back go to ahead, special. Go ahead, please, please, please. But you said the best thing because it was about doing material about Trump. Mm. And doing jokes about Trump and everyone going like, when Trump got elected, oh, this must be heaven for comedians. And what was your analogy? My analogy is that, yeah, he is, (laughs) Trump is a 18-wheeler full of uh, monkeys on PCP, and um, it crashes into a train full of diarrhea. And now there's diarrhea-covered monkeys on PCP running around. Everyone's watching it. And you as a comedian walk up going, you want to hear some jokes I wrote about this? You're like, no, we're good. We're It's <laughs> diarrhea-covered monkeys on PCP. What are you talking about, you know? So it was that good. Oh, and, and by the way. Um, <laughs> that was, that's a very good explanation. Thank you. Of, of why, why it was so frustrating for comedians to hear like, yeah. what a goldmine this guy is. No, it's, this, it's one <laughs> joke. I mean, I also said that it's impossible to keep up with him because he, he, it's, my analogy was he's a, a crazy guy on the sidewalk and he's just taking a dump. And then you turn to your friends and you have this amazing joke about the guy taking the dump. And by the time you turn to them, they're like, oh, he turned back around. He made the, took his poo and made a pinata out of it. He's like, <laughs> has it on his head. And you're like, oh, I don't have a material. Like, there's no way to keep up with him. There's no shelf life. Mulaney, of course, did the oh the, the horse in the hospital. Perfect, and that was perfect. Perfect, because he doesn't even name him. That was such a brilliant bit. Because what he was saying beyond it, the bit being funny was, it's so bad that we all know what we're talking about now. Like it, it really embraced the shared insanity, and we're tiptoeing around a thing that it's in front of us, but no one dares speak it, even though it's right there. And of course, you know, as bad as he you knew he was it ends with him trying to end our democracy yeah which is kind of as bad as you can get right yeah Yeah. but and and he's fine there's no it feels like there's no consequences anymore it feels like no one you read about people in politics and they do one thing and they have to go away forever it's like oh that that's an age that's gone now these people never go away They'll always, it doesn't matter. And I hear people now, well, I guess it's going to be DeSantis because I don't think people are going to, because Trump is really discredited by what he said about Putin or something. <laughs> I'm going like, I thought he was gone at, I don't like people who were uh, captured. Yeah. I like the people who weren't yeah. captured. And it's just, it's never, you never can count this guy out. No, no. He's- and part of me hope he's the nominee and part of me hope, he isn't the nominee. I'm but. I'm torn because, yeah, I'm the same way because if he's the nominee, one of the good things about him is he's doing all this fundraising, but the fundraising just goes to him. 
and it's it's siphoning off money from other candidates that desperately need it because the money that goes to the Trump reelection doesn't actually he just puts it in his just sends it offshore and that's money that they need and it's actually hurting them a little bit but but what I hope he the reason I hope he doesn't get it is because if he loses there'll be an even worse run on like they'll burn the capital to the ground it feels like that but you know my thinking of course and this is I'm I'm, I'm just saying out <laughs> loud what hopeful. everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. is thinking yeah. which is he couldn't possibly win and then of course it uh, talks to about election reform and it talks about suppressing votes and it mm-hmm. talks to them about which is all they're doing that's every thing they're passing is about election stuff that's all they care about right now which should tell you they're they're doing it right in front of us there's no more that's what movies like the parallax view and all the president's men and three days of the condor just seem like fantasies now because they don't they had to do the research yeah but, there, but there's no there's no covert stuff anymore yeah. it's right in front of you they're, they don't hide it anymore and you know in some places the worst stuff didn't pass my god you know you have they passed laws where the state legislature, which is Republican, can mm-hmm. overturn the election. That's in Georgia. Yeah. Oh, my God. They used you guys' old technique from the early SNL days because didn't you used to pitch? If you wanted a sketch to get on, you would write a couple of things. You're like, well, they'll totally kill these and then let this one get through. Oh, you mean the censors? Yeah, exactly. How you get by. It seems like they're doing a version of that. Like put a couple of bills that are so crazy and then the ones that. that people will point to them and then they're even so bad that they can't get them done. But then they'll pat themselves on the back for crushing it while they. For the making it much harder goes, for people to register, much yes. people to get absentee ballots. Exactly. That's what they're doing in Texas. It's almost like you keep seeing the rough drafts and they keep refining it every couple of years. So back in 2000, when they were doing the recount in Florida for Bush v. Gore, the decision to stop the recount, which was uh, ad hoc, this will never happen again. We don't want to set precedent with this because they knew what they were doing. Who's the justice that, uh, who, who passed away? The um, uh, Scalia. Scalia. In his argument said, I, I, I'm paraphrasing this, but he said, a recount will jeopardize Bush's claim on the presidency. Like that's in the language of the decision, which is basically him going, this guy says he's president. Now, <laughs> if we count these votes, yeah. this could really make him look. So th- that's, that is the start of that. It goes back to what, you know, these guys that they're afraid of being primaried, they'd better say stuff that'll be a good soundbite on Fox News that they can use in their campaign ad. That's, they're all, they're, they're, they're cutting campaign ads in real time. That's yeah, what you're I mean, watching the thing happen. is, they know they're lying. Yeah. Shouldn't you draw a line there? I mean, I think there are people who, you know, kind of say things in a way that they it's, they go to a gray area or something mm-hmm. like that. There's that, but then right. there's just these guys are lying flat out, and they know they are, and they and but but they trust that. Well, but it'll be such because they've learned. But this cut together, you can almost see them editing it in their head, and they trust that the Fox News and the OAN and the Newsmax people will cut it just perfectly for them that they can then send it out. And oh, they know that for yeah. certain. Yeah. They know that for certain, and their their people are sending it to them. Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, that's got to be so frustrating. So we got off comedy. We got we off really, comedy. Boy, did we veer. But, but I know that you care about days. this shit. I, you know, I, I keep going down, and I, I got to keep stopping myself doing this. I keep going down this rabbit hole of reading about Vienna right before the annexation when Vienna was this very, very open society, cabaret, irony, and um, – culture and they were so ironic that they thought that the nazis were a joke and thought like well we're beyond all that now we're post-world war one and these guys are idiots and they weren't able to see as a guy um uh this guy clive james great writer was like they were having so much fun with language and messing around with irony and taking apart their liberal comrades' writings and like, oh, you use that word wrong, or oh, that's a cliche, but but that they could not imagine of someone like Hitler who just absolutely meant exactly what he was saying with no irony, no playfulness, and it was so ridiculous to them, like we did with Trump, like, this is insane. Obviously, he's through. No one's going to, that we weren't, a, we didn't see it coming because so we were talking, so wrapped up in irony. You're talking about us. Talking about us. I'm talking Very about especially dark. my generation. It was all that. Uh, we, we thought we were 
beyond racism. And we, there was a lot of ironic racism amongst a lot of alt comedy, a lot mm. of Gen X, because we thought, well, we're beyond it. We can make fun of it. And we didn't realize we were actually mapping out a blueprint for a lot of the alt-right people and a lot of the edgelords and a lot of the shit posters to use for them to go, I'm just being ironic. It's like, no, no, you actually mean this. Right, You're right. trying to grandfather your shit in, and we're partially responsible for doing that. That's another thing is I always feel like a good joke is much better than a bad joke. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And we've lost that now. That's totally gone. You know, I, okay, I understand. And good jokes usually maybe have like actual irony in it. Yeah. And actual meaning and or actual it, dimension. Or at it. least they turn whatever harshness is sitting out back on the joke teller to go, well, no, this is actually ultimately about me whereas a lot of these a lot of these edgelords they just stop at the i just made fun of the different person and that's where it ends and they go it's just edgy humor you're like no you didn't turn that anywhere but it else is except also the dangerous it is also dangerous that you can tell a joke where it's absolutely clear what you mean mm -hmm. and some people will object because yeah. there's a certain element in it, and you have to be very careful now Oh, absolutely. But you know what? We Look, this, here's my thing about this. For years, when I did comedy in the 80s, comedy, doing stand-up comedy, you may as well have been a rodeo clown. They're like, oh, you, what you do doesn't matter. You just go up there. And we've, we've seen that, no, comedy kind of matters. It's crucial. It's crucial to people's mental health. It's crucial to society's health. It's like, it's like the thing that we wanted. We want to be taken seriously. Well, now you're being taken seriously. Now they're really looking at what you're doing because they, they know that it matters. And, you know, it goes back to when, when Goebbels went and saw a screening of It Happened One Night and he was like in his diary, oh, I wish we could do something like that. Like we need that. Like we could use that as a tool for our shittiness, but we just don't, we don't have any creativity or sense of humor. So, so it does matter. That kind of stuff does matter. And so act like you matter. D you know, take it. To just roll with it a little bit. And yeah. But – uh, there is a, a thing where prior Carlin, oh, yeah, yeah. all those people pushed Lenny Bruce, mm -hmm. deliberately pushed boundaries. But they were pushing for more openness. The people that are doing the edgelord stuff now are pushing for, can we go back to the way you think, can I go back to being able to say these horrible things? It's like, no, we, we got to keep moving forward. Those, those guys were trying to push forward in whatever ways they succeeded or failed at doing it. Do you yeah, know what I mean? But what I'm saying is things can be deliberately misinterpreted. Oh, well, you know, th there are people about. that there are people that deliberately misinterpret things when they see that oh there's clicks to be gotten out of this. Yeah. There's oh I can get some clicks out of this. When I did that I did that joke about the monkeys on PCP covered in diarrhea. I think I did it on like Conan early <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. And there was some right-wing website that said um Patton Oswalt calls Ben Carson a monkey. That was the headline. And they were counting on people like just click on it because because and then in the article they're like he's you know he says that the Trump thing is but but Trump, oh, that's a but, troll but 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 it's but it's a troll on it that wasn't like just a guy on on Twitter with like John and then nine numbers and three followers this was a right wing looked like a news site and tried to make it look wow. but I'm saying there are things to get out of willfully misinterpreting things if you want to advance your own career and I've seen that happen too and that's also dangerous. Yeah, you know? it's 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 we're it's a tough time. Yeah, views and clicks have eclipsed um, content and meaning, and that's what's really dangerous right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come see us. We'll be at the. Uh, we're gonna be at, at the Mike and Stool. <laughs> at the Mike and Stool. My favorite fake comedy club name was made up by uh, Blaine Capatch, Befuddleds in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tom Davis used to say that. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, we're we're uh, we're booked next week at the punchline, but uh, first they've they've got us at the setup <laughs> across the street. Which not not too far from the truth. There was a lot of those one nighters that basically was a setup. Yeah, that's all it is. And uh, yeah, well. Uh, I wish we would be in the same town. Well, not, well we are now. Well, we're, we are now, and yeah, we're, we're going to go to dinner later tonight. That would be very nice. But, yeah, it would be really good. And, and who knows? We're going to keep touring. If, if, we, if we're in the same town and one of us can either get in a night early or stay an extra night, it would be great to do it. 
Yeah, it's so much fun doing it. It's and, the best. And I've seen you. You haven't seen me do a full show. I will I will see you soon whenever you... But thanks you're... for bringing me on at Largo. And you, I'll have you on again. Absolutely. I would love great. to do it anytime. Yeah. Can we end on a sweet note? Let's end it there. I don't want to... Because we keep going down these dark roads. Let's end it right there. I absolutely. Yes. We've, you know, and then we're going to take all the dark stuff out. This Please, will be about a 15-minute Oh, good. Thank God. Um, Al, thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. And I'll see you in a couple hours. And I'll see you in a couple hours. <laughs> well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Yeah. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.